Uh, let's get back in the Word today, and um, uh, we're, we're, we're in the, the last of a series of messages on uh, the foundations for God's order in the church, and this is a different kind of series. If you're a, a visitor or haven't been in a while, um, this is a different kind of sermon series, and I, I realize usually you come to church expecting to hear something addressing uh, a felt need in your life, and, and that we'll, we're going to get back to that and uh, talk about those things that uh, maybe you're dealing with in your personal life, because your personal life ultimately matters a lot, and we care about that deeply. Uh, but, um, but we thought we'd take some time and just talk about who we are as a church, and, 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 and from a biblical standpoint, or, or really, what is the church in God's view? What is God's view of the church? And um, uh, I, I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't claim to be the smartest leader in the world, uh, and uh, hopefully someday you can get a smarter leader uh, someday down in the future when, when I go off and uh, to do whatever I'm going to do next, uh, but, uh, but you won't get a, a leader that loves the Word of God more than I do. You will not. Hey, you won't get a leader that loves you, loves you more than I do. I really love you, and I care about you, and that's what leaders are for. When we leaders lose sight of that, and it becomes about something else, or our own empowerment, or our prosperity, or whatever. Um, and uh, and I put my money where my I've put my money where my mouth is in those areas. Sherry and I together, I should, should add, for 34 years. And so um, I'm happy to talk to you about the church. Okay, so we're going to talk about the formation and structure of the church, uh, called church structure made simple. What stands out to me in the how the Bible prescribes church structure. To be is its simplicity, and, and and I've done a ton of research now for two or three years, uh, in in how churches should be formed according to Scripture, and I've looked at examples, and I've studied constitutions of contemporary churches all the way from Texas to Massachusetts and California too, by the way, and so uh, I, I I studied very carefully three churches that are in our area, their constitution bylaws, and. Um, I, well, you know what I discovered? The most successful churches in our area and all around the country are the one, ones that, that their structure is very simple. Not complicated, but simple. And um, so uh, there's power in simplicity. The, the least successful churches I've studied, and I've even, I've even visited a couple of churches, and the least successful are the ones who have the most, they're the most psychologically and structurally complex and there's power and simplicity. You probably heard about the, the pastor who preached, and every Sunday she would uh, hand the usher a note. And uh, he, every once in a while he would peek at it, the usher would peek at it, and it, it had K-I-S-S on it. And one day he just decided to go to the pastor's wife and say, Look, that is so sweet that you send your husband a kiss before he preaches every Sunday. And she said, that's not a kiss. That means keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> that's exactly what my wife would say, too. Keep it simple. She might not tell me stupid. but What can be a bit confusing in the New Testament is, is that clearly called out roles. You, know, you have these clearly called out roles like apostles, evangelists, prophets, teachers, elders. Those terms just aren't very clear today. It's like they actually knew. They knew who the prophets were in the church and who the teachers were. And, they, the, you know, I would, I would challenge anybody here to tell me who the prophets are. 
and who are, who are the prophets, who are the teachers, who are the... And, for, for example, the word elder overlaps with the word pastor. In Second Peter 5, uh, Peter, who was charged by Jesus to feed the sheep in John chapter 21, calls himself an elder and charges fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So in context, he explained that the elder's role is to shepherd or pastor the flock just as he is a pastor elder and is sought and is called to feed the flock. So elders... Uh, according to that, would be pastors who shepherd God's flock uh, by feeding the sheep with the word of God. And interestingly, in the same passage, Peter also speaks of these uh, shepherd elders as exercising oversight. Uh, all in all, from the way the New Testament overlaps in its terms, it's clear that elders, pastors, and overseers are three different terms for the same office. So let's take a step back, and let's not try to figure all that out. Let's look at the simple pattern that is consistent from the time of Moses to the time of the apostles. Now, I, I don't always tell you uh, the, 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 what my talking points are going to be, but I want to today because I think it, because, because there's certain things about this that can be a little technical and might not be as interesting to you. I understand that. Uh, I'll try to make it interesting. But um, uh, the, 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 what, I, what I discovered when I, I studied Moses in the Old Testament and I studied Acts in the New Testament uh, I, I discovered that God structures the church around three different roles. And not necessarily in this order, but I think it's in this order. It may not be. But the first role is God sets a shepherd. A shepherd who are joined by under-shepherds. That's the number one thing I see. Number two, God sets in his church servants. Servants, in fact, the word, the word deacon in the New Testament, diakonos, simply means servants. There's no such thing in the Bible as a deacon board. They're the servants. And in the Old Testament, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute, the Levites, they were the servants. Practical servants, practical responsibilities that, that meet the needs of the people. And that's the bottom line. The bottom line is to meet the needs and bear the burdens of the people. It's not about running a political organization or running... Well, I'll get into that later. But the third, the third thing is God... So God sets, God sets a shepherd and, and under-shepherds. God sets servants. And then thirdly, God sets members. All are incredibly important. One's not more important than the other. Without, without one, you don't have the other two. You've got to have all three in order for a church to be what God wants it to be. So uh, what I discovered is God did not pre-prescribe all of these, uh, these titles. He simply led his people from the beginning, and then all the titles came about as they responded to problems. You know, you know some people want to head off every problem before it happens. Uh, let's create a church structure that will allow for no problems. Let's create, let's create a government that will prevent a pastor from being doing something bad, or let's do one that'll prevent a member from doing something bad. Let, let's do something that will prevent. You know, you, if you totally, if you totally um, structure for control, you will never have growth, Amen. because growth is messy. Amen. The New Testament, Acts two, they didn't have any deacons. Acts three, they didn't have any deacons. Acts four, they didn't have any deacons. Acts five, they did pretty good. 
They were running 200,000 without deacons. Well, how do you run 200,000 without deacons? It's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit builds his church. Acts 6, they run into this problem with the, with the Greek-speaking widows not getting served. In the daily feeding, they had no means of support. They couldn't go out and work. They had no means of support. And because they were Greek-speaking, they were being prejudiced against by the Hebrew-speaking widows and the Hebrew-speaking people, the Jews. And so they said, hey, we need some deacons. So they got seven deacons, and the church began to grow again. So uh, we don't need to try to solve problems before they arise all the time. Okay, let me read two scriptures for you. Yeah, I tell you, you're really excited about this. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel the in, in, uh, energy in the room, right? You want to know about church government. Boy, that's, uh, that's, why I'm, that's why I went to that church today. I own and understand church government. Numbers chapter 11, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting. And let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they will bear the burden of the people so that you may bear it, not bear it yourself alone. The backstory there is Moses has led the people of Israel. There's a couple million people. And he is the one who's hearing all their disputes and all their domestic problems. Everything that you can imagine would happen. He was the only one. So day and night... And he run, they, 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 they encounter his father-in-law. And I have a father-in-law like that too, a Jethro in my life. And so his father and Jethro said, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out. And you're going to wear the people out too. If you're the only one that listens to their problems and helps them resolve their issues. And so that's, that's when he brought the 70 elders together. And, 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 and he imparted, God supernaturally imparted the shepherd's heart that was in Moses and put it in their hearts. So we go to Acts chapter 15, and we see something kind of similar. After they finished speaking, James, the presiding elder uh, there, uh, replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim for him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Uh, now, now the, the, the back story there, uh, the back story there is that these Gentile believers were coming to Christ, and the Jewish believers wanted them to adhere to all ceremonial laws of, of Judaism, including circumcision, and a lot of other ceremonial laws. They wanted them to be Jews first, Christians second. And so James brings the leaders from all these different churches, all over Asia he, and, and, and Israel, he brings church leaders together, and there they talk and they converse, and he then brings it together and says, I've listened to everybody, here's what we need to do. So that's the backstory there. So before we talk about the why or the what, 
Let's talk about the why for a second. Whenever you're going to do something, if you're going to build a house, uh, you're going to talk about it, hopefully, you're going to talk about how the house is going to be used. Do you want to, you, you, like to, you like to entertain? You like to have a lot of people over? So you probably want to want a very open floor plan so there's plenty of room so people aren't just boxed into little rooms, but they can have this open space where there's a lot of room to hang out. If, if, you, if you think you're... Uh, your parents are going to live with you. You may want to, you may want to accommodate for a, uh, an in-law apartment or a finished basement that's finished off and those sort of things. You, 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 purpose is very... It, when you go clothes shopping, you know, you've you got, you got to think about what, what is the purpose of these clothes I'm buying. Is it, is it so I can work in the yard? Uh, or is it so I can go to formal events? Or so I can go, go, uh, uh, go to the office or I'm going to work from home. So you, 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 you look at purpose. Everything is purpose. You're going to buy a car. You, you go, uh, you have a conversation. And of course, your, your husband wants a sports car. And, and uh, you're going, but the kids won't fit in that. And he said, exactly. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> you take them to soccer and dance and in sports, and <laughs> uh, so if you if you're gonna if, if you got to haul the kids around, you're gonna buy one kind of car, and and if you have depending on how many kids, and and if you just want a commuter car, especially with the price of gas right now, I'm sorry I brought that up, but uh, you know if you're gonna sports, you know if you're gonna commute to uh, 45 minutes a day to work or hour to work, then you're probably gonna want a small car that gets it's good on gas and. If you're going to be by yourself, you're doing a small one, right? So purpose is everything. So what is the purpose of the church? We need to know what we're trying to do. Are we trying to make everybody feel just um, a certain way? Are, are we trying to make everybody feel uh, some sort of uh, uh, organizational empowerment? Or are we trying something deeper? Well, I say this, and, and you, can, you can disagree with me. I say the purpose of a church is to get you from here to there. Right? Here to there. Here to there. Okay. Um, I thought I had a graphic for that. Oh, there we go. Uh, I, I agonized over this graphic for a long time. I, just, <laughs> I mean, it's very complex. Here to there. See... Every one of us are here in our lives. I'm going to do a sermon series called one time, someday called You Are Here. Talk about where are you? Where are you in your life? Where are you in your ministry? Where are you in your marriage? Where are you in your family? Where are you in your calling? Where are you? We're all here. The purpose of the church is to take you there. Uh, I mean, I'm going to disagree with Rick Warren. He starts his book, Purpose Driven Life, by saying it's not about you. I'm going to say it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about your life. It's, Christ died on the cross to save you. The Holy Spirit came to fill you. So a church that does what it's supposed to do, it's going to be about you and your life. And we want to help you to get from here to there. Now, sometimes organizationally, we need to go from here to there as well because we want, because we want to reach more people. We want to reach more people out there who are far from God, right? Right? 
We, we want to reach more people out there who are far from God. So organizationally, we sometimes want to go here, from here to there. But if the here to there that the church wants to do is not about helping more people like you get from here to there, then we've lost our way. Because so, so that's the purpose of the church. That's the, when, when, when those 70 elders that we talked about, and, and, and Moses and 70 elders, it was because the people had been in Egyptian bondage, which is a type of sin, in a type of where we all were when we were, we were without Christ. And that's what Moses said. God said, I want you to take the people from here to there. I want you to take the people from the bondage of Egypt to the liberty of the promised land. That's what I want you to do. And, 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 the, and the New Testament, same thing. I want to take people from the bondage of sin to the liberty of Christ. So that looks different for different people in different parts of your life. So that's what the church is for. So to affirm that God wants our church to feel simple and natural as it should be, we have all these metaphors in Scripture that picture the church. We're depicted as a family. We are members of God's very own family. These metaphors are really important. I know you don't think about what, what, I met, what your metaphor is, but metaphors are really important because that's how... You will view things through your metaphor. You know, if you, if you think life is a school, then you go around seeing every experience as a learning experience. Life is a school, and I just learn. I suffer in difficulty, and I learn. If, if life is a battle, some, some of you, it's life is a battle. It's like, you know, you're fighting your way through life. You know, so your metaphors, maybe some of you, it's just, your, your, your metaphor is sailing. You're just sailing through life. So I don't, I don't care. That's up to you with your metaphor. But you don't get to choose the metaphor of the church, and neither do I. We don't get to choose. Those are metaphors that God had, and they're terribly important. And the first one that I've mentioned to you is we're a family. And the scripture says you are members of God's very own family, and you belong to God's household with every other Christian. Ephesians 2, 19, we're a body, like a physical body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. We're a fellowship. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. Uh, one thing you need to know if you're new at Bethany is we have a lot of business meetings, a lot, very often. We have business meetings. We had a business meeting Thursday night, Friday night, at the Blessing Barn called the Supper Club. And we had, spaghetti, we had meatballs and salad. And for two hours, we told stories. And we laughed. I laughed till I cried. We shared stories. Because that's the business of the church. So I wonder, I wonder church has a lot of business meetings. Well, we have a lot of business meetings. We do the business. The business of the church is encouraging people and building people up. And the world is difficult and the world is crazy. So we give people places and spaces where spaces of grace and places of joy. That's what we do. That's the business of the church. So we're going to have a lot of business meetings. Um, where was I? Let me say this before I get into the big three. Everything that God does in your life is motivated by love for you and everyone around you. And everything God does in your life is motivated by the promise he has made and the covenant that he has made with you and everybody else. Because God has brought you to this place called the church to bring you from here to there. He has instantiated a simple structure to keep the church as a source of your flourishing. You can see that as the scriptures I read in Acts number 11 and Acts 15. Number one, God 
puts a shepherd over his people. I like this term because there's a lot of different, uh, shepherd is just a metaphor. If, if, if your pastor grows wool on his body, you, you are, uh, <laughs> you're weird, okay? Uh, and he's, uh, you know, so don't, uh, or, or, or if your pastor is a literal shepherd, that's probably not necessary either. I, I got that wrong. If you're growing wool on your body, you're just something wrong. <laughs> but anyway, I shouldn't have even got there, gone there. <laughs> I like the term a set person, because it doesn't matter. You, you, might, you might call him an elder in another context. You might call or him or her. Be a, we, we do believe, and I, don't anybody walk out if you're a Southern Baptist. The Southern Baptists all just got upset. We ain't coming back to this church. Since we, let, we, uh, we, we believe that women can have the anointing to preach. Okay? Is that okay? I only got one, one person I'm really frightened of. <laughs> I've had people walk out on that. I've, I, I had a, 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 years ago, a lady preach, and a lady went stomping out because she wasn't going to a church that was not in compliance with God's will. <laughs> but uh, uh, I like the term a set person. God chose Moses as a set person. Whenever there's vision, it always relates to a person. Go through the scripture and find me one place where there was vision. That didn't begin in the heart of a person. I don't care if it was, was Abraham or Nehemiah or uh, Ezekiel or Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul. God always puts his vision in the heart of, a, of an individual who shared that vision with others. And then he imparts that vision to others. That's what he has said. The Bible says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them. Not because you must. Because you are willing. As God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain. But eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears. You will receive the crown of glory. That will never fade away. Then we find you know, James over there in Acts chapter 15. That I read a minute ago. He he stands up because uh, he, he, he was a shepherd of the people. And he saw that the, the Gentile believers were going to be overburdened with rules that were beyond what were necessary for them to know the Lord and necessary for them to grow spiritually. And he says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and what has been strangled and from blood. And, and there's a lot to unpack there, and we don't have time to do that right now. But, but, he, but, he, but he's simplifying things. And he's saying, okay, there, there's three or four things we do need to warn them about because if they get involved in those things, it will pull them away from Christ. It will pull them away from salvation if they get involved in those things. It, it's, see, it's no coincidence that Moses was sent away from Egypt to spend 40 years tending sheep. You remember that? Moses, Moses had the passion to deliver people, but he actually, he actually murdered someone in his passion for the people. And that's not a good thing for a pastor to do. I, I understand it. I totally understand it, you know? <laughs> and... Uh, I could tell you stories, but now that we're live streaming, I have to be careful about my stories because people out there <laughs> will hear them <laughs> that aren't in the room. So I have to be more careful about the stories I tell. So uh, I understand the desire to murder people, but, <laughs> but that's not a good shepherd, you know? That's not a good shepherd. 
Uh, he, so God said, you're not quite ready. You're not quite ready. <laughs> and he sends, him, he sends him to the backside of the desert for 40 years to keep sheep. And, and think about that. If you feel called to ministry, be prepared to go to the desert. Okay? Be, be, prepared, be prepared to hang out with some smelly sheep. You know, if you think God's calling you to ministry. Uh, so, it, so a member of the flock, you know, as a member of the flock, you should want to know how to get the most benefit out of having a shepherd. I wish I had a, an hour to talk about this, how you can really get the most out of, out of me. How can you can really take advantage of me? You know, <laughs> because cause a lot of people don't know how to take advantage of their pastor properly. You know, they don't know how to, what to go for. First of all, you must feed on the shepherd's instruction that the Lord communicates to them. You must feed on it. it is it going to be all, all from the Lord? No, there's going to be a percentage. You go, that's him. That's her. That's not the Lord. But there's a percentage of it. It's going to be God's word to you. And some of God's word to you is going to come through the shepherd that God, God puts over you and that you put yourself in, under that shepherd's care. And uh, the second thing I would tell you about taking advantage, full advantage of a shepherd is pressure shepherds to give you wisdom related to your life by being transparent. See, uh, uh, the, the, the people of Israel, see... This, uh, this role of these shepherds was to actually get involved, and not like a busybody involved or nosy involved, but, but to get involved in the practical everyday lives of the people in the congregation. The, the, you know, what, what people would do is they, would, they were having trouble, you know, the, the, the wife was saying, I want a divorce, or the husband was saying, I want a divorce, and they'd go talk to the shepherd about that. They could talk to the elder about that, and he would help them come together. Are there our child that we can't control our child, uh, or we don't, you know, she's spending all the money down at the market, and we can't pay our bills. And so the, shepherd would, would, the shepherds would get involved in this part of their life. And kind of, I think the modern church, we've just, the shepherd is like a, a celebrity now. He's this celebrity who has these messages that just kind of, tell you uh, kind of like a lecture thing and then a lot of great music and we're, we're, in a th we're in a place today where people aren't really being shepherded. Uh, am I right? Yeah. We're in a place in church history where people aren't really being shepherded and it's partly the pastor's fault, partly the people's fault because we don't understand the purpose of, when you don't understand something's purpose, you will, you will, not, you will, not, you will neglect it or you will abuse it when you don't understand something's purpose. Now, I'm not pressuring you to tell me anything that you're not ready to tell me. That everything doesn't need to come out. But I'm telling you, that's what the shepherds were. The shepherds, the shepherds weren't there to run some church business. The shepherds were there to help you with your business and to bless you in the, in the business of your doing your life as effectively as possible. Uh, also, another thing is accept the guidance of the under-shepherds that the shepherds shepherd you through, you know, that they're, they're the, the one, just like Moses could not get to everybody. Moses couldn't be available for everybody. That was impossible. But there were other people. 
there were other people, you know, who, who came, on, came online. And the, 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 the fourth thing that I would say to you is highly value our, uh, let, let us all highly value our identity as a sheep. Because there's this, as even I'm preaching this, all oh, the shepherds are really important. Sheep, the difference between shepherd and sheep is sheep's not quite as important as shepherd. Listen, I am still a sheep. I am still a sheep. I need shepherding. And so I put people in my, you know, I, I, I've, uh, I've have, I have several people that serve like shepherds to me. And they're, uh, I look up to them. And, um, and they have, seem like they have different gifts. So kind of go to one, one you know, I have one person I will go to who will, who will listen, let me pour out my heart, and uh, then he will give me four steps out. I have another person in my life that just listens really well. He listens so well. He doesn't give me any advice. It's like, I don't know what to do, Phil, but I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) Sometimes that's what I, you know, and and then I have a a fourth guy that's just like a bulldozer. Boom. You know, he's, and and so uh, recently I had this email. I I was upset with someone, not in the church. I don't send emails to church members that I'm upset with because you can hit forward. I call you on the phone, or we come, we sit, and we talk. I have some protection if there's no recording devices. <laughs> but uh, I, somebody, uh, I, I was going to send this email because I was upset with someone, and so I decided I'm going to send it to him because he's done that to me. He sent me letters that he had written, and I've actually rewritten some of his letters. <laughs> no, don't say that. I mean, I send him this email, and my phone is ringing. I mean, I hit send, and my phone starts ringing. He's like, Phil, don't send that email. <laughs> he said, you sound petty. You just sound so petty in that email. <laughs> so uh, you, you, can, you can go through life with no shepherd if you want, but I'm telling you, it's fun to go through life with shepherds. It's fun to go through. It's so much better to go through life with people that can see what you're not going to see because, you know, we all have blind spots. And guess what? I did, I did extensive research on this. <laughs> you know why they call blind spots blind, po- blind spots? Because they're blind spots. <laughs> That's why. You cannot see it. Everyone else can, or others can, but you can't. Uh, let me read to you uh, what's in our Constitution bylaws uh, about our leadership structure. And some, a couple of these things you haven't heard before. Uh, because we're in the process of putting some new elements of leadership in play, and, and, and you haven't called them this. A lead pastor, and ex- a leadership structure, a lead pastor, an executive lead team, board of trustees, and a council of elders shall be selected in place for the coordination and in place for the coordination of ministry, the management of the church, and its business. The lead pastor is the primary overseer of Bethany Community Church. The lead pastor shall guide and shepherd the congregation in the company of mature leaders appointed to give wise counsel. That, is, that last sentence is, to me, what, what the shepherds, how it's supposed to work. Have a shepherd who loves his people and her, and, and, or her people and that shepherd surrounded by wise counsel. That's what I see in Acts chapter 15. James didn't just operate all by himself. Well, he didn't just go to his office 
and study and decide what to do, but he brought fellow elders together. He brought other church leaders together, and he heard them out. He heard those who were saying one thing and those who were saying another, and he said, well, it seems good to me and the Holy Spirit, one translation says, that we not put on the Gentiles, that we not overburden them. Really cool. So let's get to the next one. God's servants among his people. He also gathered together all the leaders of Israel as well as the priests and the Levites. And here we go talking about the, the, the priests were also like shepherds and elders. But then there were the Levites. Who were the Levites? The Levites were the people that attended to the practical matters of running the temple. These people were keep, keep, the, keep the lamps burning. The, they, they would make sure the place was clean and ready for worship. And that was critical to keeping the Old Testament church operating. God's order, and they were, and by the way, they were just as anointed at their task as the elder and priest were at theirs. They were just as anointed as Moses. In fact, when the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the glory of God resided, the Ark of the Covenant, the most sacred object in the holiest of holies, when that was moved, only the Levites were allowed to carry it. The Levites... uh, are, are, were those people doing practical service, but within practical service was the glory of God. The glory of God was contained in the practical service of, the, of the, their work. One time it was put on an ox cart, and they weren't supposed to do that. It was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. And a man reached out to steady it because the Levites were supposed to carry it, and he died from that. So I'm telling you, if you think that being a parking-like greeter is a small thing. You don't understand the purpose of God. If you think being a door greeter is a small thing, you don't understand the purpose of God. If you think caring for babies in the nursery is a small thing, or for people who don't have a very, you know, have an inferior anointing, then you don't understand the purpose of God, and you don't understand what really touches people's hearts. You don't understand what really brings them to Christ. You overvalue sermons, which is a terrible thing to say since I'm preaching one right now. But you're overvaluing the performance of a pastor preaching a sermon. I'm telling you, I've been watching this for years, and I've been watching this my whole life, and it's the acts of service that, that grab people's hearts and make them say, these people love Jesus. Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, I'm as serious as a judge on the bench right now. If you think being an offering counter is a small thing, you don't understand the purpose of God. If you, think, if you don't think ushering, if you think it's a small thing, you don't understand the purpose of God. Amen? If you think playing in the worship band is not very important, no, you don't understand the purpose of God. How many times have I gone to church and a song was what I needed more than anything, right? And they sang that, that right song. I mean, I, I, I've told you about my cancer journey probably more than you want to hear about it. But I, but I, I went down to Brooklyn Tabernacle in, uh, in uh, New York, in Brooklyn, New York, of course. That's why they call it Brooklyn Tabernacle. Um, and, uh, and, and they sang, fill my cup, Lord. I lifted up, Lord. I don't even remember what, the guy gave a little sermon that night, but I don't even remember what he said. I didn't need his sermon. I needed the song. I needed the song that night. And, it, and sermons are great too. I mean, there are times you need a sermon. But we need the Levites. If you think 
if you think running sound, lighting, and live streaming projection, and projection's a small thing. I wish you could hear the stories I hear. A lady this week, I mean, I've gotten two, I've gotten two messages this, in the last couple of days. A lady sat with me who doesn't come to our church, and, 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 and her husband was sick last week, and so, so she watched, and something I shared in the sermon, just it just touched her and, and met a need that she had and, and solved a problem for her. Now, I could preach that same sermon, but there's nobody back there running the camera. They're not going to see it. And then I got an email last night. I just got an email last night from a lady, and they're probably watching now, so I won't, I won't get into what it is, but have a very, very challenging and serious medical issue. And she began the email by saying, we've never met, but I've been watching you online. We, we're all in this together, guys. And... And, I, I, and, and maybe you're, you're not with us. You're visiting or you've you're just been here for a while, but you're kind of saying, that's okay. We, we want to be a place where you can check us out. We want to be a place where you can sit back and you don't have to start ushering or you don't have to start doing stuff. And we, we, don't, we don't want a church. We don't want a Sunday, especially Sunday morning attendance where it's, it's just the hardcore. No, the rest of you can go home. No, no, no. We're here for you. We're here for you that, that, are, that are in the most stressful place. You might be too stressful a place that you can really serve right now. I don't know. That's your business, but that's between you and God. God has to call you. I can't call you. you God's got to call you. But if you think hosting a community group is a small thing, you don't know, you don't understand the purpose of God. In Acts chapter five, 6 and 7, men were appointed to be in charge. I talked about it earlier of, the, of a building pro. Uh, of a a feeding program, I should have said, for the Greek-speaking widows in Jerusalem. The Bible says the apostles laid hands on them and commissioned them for their task. Some some people's anointing is more task-oriented, and they did it so the the elders and shepherds could stay free to study the Word and preach and pray. That was important. For the church, the task was feeding the widows. Uh, For BCC, it will be something else, but the important distinction was that it was a task a task that freed the shepherds to focus on their ministries. Finally, God puts people together under the care of shepherds and servants. This is so important, and this is maybe the most important because you could have a lot of good leaders, but no people to be led. Kind of, kind of dumb, isn't it? You know? Um, we see, the Bible says, this is a great verse. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen. We see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. That's you. You know, this is why God only wants you to belong to one church. No matter how inclusive it may feel to belong to multiple churches. You cannot belong to multiple churches. Uh, it will, it, it will result in, uh, it, will, it actually will result in you being critical because that other church will have something that, oh, their, their worship is just, uh, 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 it's another level. And, but Pastor Phil, man, I like hearing him speak. And, uh, you're just going to be as confused as a termite in a yo-yo <laughs> if you keep trying to go to a bunch of different churches. I mean, is that what you want your kids to do? You want them to belong to four different houses? Well, maybe your kids are trying that, and, and you're probably not too happy, <laughs> you know? 
You don't know if they're going to show up for dinner. You don't know if they're going to show up for dinner at your house or they're going to go to somebody else's house for dinner. You don't know, well, well, Mom, I'm not going to sleep in my bed tonight. I'm going to sleep in the neighbor's bed. <laughs> Try working for, for three companies at the same time. I mean, in the same hours. I know you can, you can have multiple jobs, but they, they have the same schedules. So, it's a bad idea. Can you, can you imagine what it was like when the pastor and the book of Revelation... I want to close with this, but they, 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 in the Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, there are seven letters written to seven churches. And um, can you imagine what it was like when the pastor got up on Sunday morning after getting the letter from Jesus? Now, now work with me here. <laughs> Instead of reading his text, he gets up and says... Uh, I need to read a letter that I got from Jesus on Friday. That's my text today. Imagine, like I said earlier, imagine someone who's splitting their time between Ephesus and Smyrna. Well, first of all, they might be in Smyrna the day the letter came from Ephesus, and that's their main church, right? So, so uh, imagine someone who's splitting their time, because Ephesus was said, you're a hardworking church who's left your first love, Smyrna, you're a suffering church, which Christ had no correction for them. But that's not my overall point. My overall point is this. God was intimately aware of each church and how these individuals were living their lives within the context of that church. And he had something to say about it. He had a thought about how they were living their lives within the context of church. I know you have many contexts in your life. You have work, you have family, you have community, maybe other things that are part of your life. And that's great, that's fine. But, but Jesus, has, he's vitally concerned about how you're living in this box or this context called your church. And he's so much that he actually, I don't know, it boggles my mind that he wrote letters. Jesus and the throne on heaven, creator of the world, wrote letters to churches telling people what kind of church members they were. And some of them got a lot of commendations, some of them got rebukes, and some of them got a mixture. So, I need to take my relationship with you seriously. Because I'm a church member too. I must behave respectfully regarding my relationship with all of you. You must be my family just as seriously. Now, you know we believe in family, your, your biological family. We know you need, you have a, a first priority there, I believe. But according to scripture, my spiritual family, I need to take that just as seriously as I do my biological family. I need to be just as forgiving when they hurt me as I am my biological family. I need to be just as caring when they have a problem as my biological family. That is all throughout the scripture. In the days of uh, preceding the total implosion of the country of Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote two books. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who would later be hung on Hitler's gallows great, great hero of the faith. One book he wrote was called The Cost of Discipleship and the other was called Life Together. I find that very interesting. 
Um, following Jesus and living in Christian community became the most precious thing to that brilliant young German who led what came to be called the Confessing Church. It was in contrast to the National Lutheran Church that literally allowed the Third Reich to replace the symbolic crosses in their churches with swastikas. Who, who, who literally allowed the Nazis to rewrite the scripture. They, re, they rewrote the Gospels so that Jesus was a domineering, blonde German instead of a lowly Jew, Jewish Nazarene. I'm not kidding that they did that. And the, the National Lutheran Church embraced these changes. But not Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer split and started the Confessing Church. And it's so interesting that in the face of national crisis, in the face of a world that was going mad, think about it, six million Jews were slaughtered under that government. And that's only the that's not that's that's only a part of what they did. In a world that gone gone mad, Bonhoeffer created community and he wrote the book Doing Life Together. Isn't that incredible? In that lovely book, he wrote these words. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Isn't that incredible? Oh God, please make us worthy to be a recipient of a letter from Jesus addressed to Bethany Community Church. God, let us be proud to say that we're yours or that I am yours. Let me be proud to say that I am yours. And let me be even prouder to say, we are yours. I want you to bow your head, please. During the next few moments, we're going to go to prayer. I know you have communion elements. If you want to partake of those communion elements, feel free to do so. We are going to dismiss you. And if we have not given you time, you can sit there. You don't have to leave until you've done that. But here's what I want to ask you to do today. I want to ask you to say I don't want to ask you to, to say yes to Pastor Phil I don't even want to ask you to say yes I will be a member of this church yes I'll come under authority here no I want to ask you to say God what is your will for my life God I will do your will and that's the prayer I want you to pray in fact just pray, pray this little prayer after me let's pray just repeat after me if you would Heavenly Father I thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross. I affirm my faith that my sins are paid for and my eternal life is purchased. In light of your sacrifice, I commit to do your will with my life in regard to the church and everything else you bring to my attention and everything else you bring to my attention. In Jesus' name.